All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Millennial Momentum Podcast. In this episode, I talk to professional boxer Danny O'Connor, and he shares an incredible story about perseverance, about going from failure to failure, trying to reach his dreams, and the impact that mental health and anxiety and stress have had. He's got an amazing story, a great message to share. Really hope you're going to like this one. Let's go. All right, guys, happy Wednesday. Let's riff into this episode. If this is your first time to Millennial Momentum, you know, really the whole focus around this podcast, the blog, everything I do is for millennial personal development. You know, I think that we're a very ambitious group. I know I am. I know a lot of my friends are. And in order to get to that next level of uh, pay, of your relationship, of your career, whatever, your health, you need three things. You need really strong work ethic. You need a positive attitude. You need just a little bit of momentum, which is forward motion with energy. I'm hoping that this show can be that little spark, that uh, forward motion with energy for you uh, to get to where you need to be. So thanks so much for joining in. Um, A few quick notes before we get into today's episode. You can find all of the info, show notes, uh, information about the guests, about me on millennialmomentum.net. You can find me on social media at Tommy Tahoe on Twitter and Instagram. If you like what you hear, give me a shout on on social media. Uh, Find me on the website. You can email me. I uh, would love to you know, keep getting in touch with the people that are listening and engaging with the show. Uh, and the one thing I ask is, if you do find value here, uh, I put a lot of time into this, a lot of effort. This is outside of a full-time job that I have in sales. So it's early mornings, it's late nights, it's weekends. Just hit subscribe wherever you're listening and give a quick review. Uh, it helps to spread the message wider, uh, make more of an impact, and, and helps uh, me to get, you know, better and better guests and and continue to create this show for everyone. So thank you for that. Let's get into today's guest. So today I'm talking to Danny O'Connor and it's a funny story. Danny came to speak to my company uh, almost a year ago at the beginning of of 2018 uh, as kind of a motivational speaker and his story just really, uh, you know, ripped everyone up. He has an incredible story and not really what you think of necessarily when you think of a professional boxer. But, um, you know, by trade, he is a professional boxer, trainer. He's a youth mentor. Uh, Some of his athletic achievements include being named to the 2008 U.S. Olympic boxing team. Uh, He was the 2008 USA national champ, 2008 national gold gloves champ, uh, among a few other things. He's also... You know, full-time husband, father, and a career firefighter. And Danny has a great story of, you know, learning late boxing, you know, starting when he was in high school and coming up the ranks and putting his whole heart and soul and life into it and sacrificing a lot and sleeping on, you know, a floor of an apartment with cockroaches on it so that he could live out his dreams and going, you know, as he says, from failure to failure, never stops trying to reach his dreams. Um, but he's had a few setbacks, and most of these are, are due to 
you know, mental health and deep roots of anxiety and stress. And, you know, I'll let him tell the story, but it's had a major impact on where he's been able to get and, and has, you know, hurt him on a few national stages. And, you know, he says that he didn't know how stressed he was until it was too late. And so it's kind of a, a tale of two stories. It's such an interesting story that he has around, you know, going and fighting and being tough and getting after it, but also the lessons he's learned about, you know, being more mindful and taking care of himself so that that can put him on a better stage professionally, uh, help him with his relationship with his wife, with his kids, and just feel more at ease. So uh, without further ado, let's get into the great Danny O'Connor. <clears throat> All right, now on the show, we have Danny O'Connor. He is uh, an accomplished professional boxer, trainer, youth mentor who's racked up a ton of accomplishments, uh, including being on the 2008 uh, Olympic team. Um, he has you know, a three-time New England Gold Gloves champ. He's a national Gold Gloves champ, uh, a list of other accomplishments. Um, he's now uh, living in Colorado Springs. He's also a full-time husband, father, firefighter. He's got an amazing story. So, Danny, thanks for coming on, man. I'm excited to talk to you. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Like I was saying before, I, I was bummed out that I wasn't able to hop on last time for the show. And I don't remember exactly what happened, but I know I was up in training camp up in uh, in Divide, which is uh, like 10,000 elevation. So I was literally in the middle of the woods with no service. Closest store was like a half hour away. So I, I think that it was just, uh, it just didn't work out the way it should have. But I'm happy to be here now, man. I am. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good. I'm excited to do this one today. And, you know, to give some context to the listeners, you, you came to speak to my company almost a year. Tech target. Yes, sir. Dude, that was an awesome one. And, uh, you know, what's funny about that one is they're like, I I don't even really do that. Like it was kind of like on a whim, um, the money that tech target paid me went to the charity. So I was, I was helping my nonprofit and I really had nothing prepared and I kind of just came and spoke off the top of my head for an hour. <laughs> it was wicked awesome. It was so much fun. That's cool. You So you didn't even, you didn't have a talk track or anything. You just kind of went for it. Um. Yeah. You know, now, now as I'm, you know, out here in Colorado and I'm trying to, I'm kind of trying to dive into the world of speaking, uh, especially into the corporate world. I see how much more, uh, unprepared I was at the time to go into tech target. And you know what? That's uh that shows tech target some class because all you guys over there, you know, I'm sure you guys knew that I wasn't prepared in any way to be a motivational speaker, but you saw the story and the authenticity of myself and, and you gave me a chance. So, I mean, yeah, it was really cool. I, I kind of just literally came and spoke off the top of my head and kind of just, pretended like I was talking to one of my buddies, you know, on the, on the back porch. So it was a great experience. It really was. That's awesome. And, and we don't usually have too many people come in and do motivational speeches and stuff like that. So it was a little unusual for them to do that. And uh, everyone was just blown away from your story and the authenticity um, and just the way that, you know, really you're the whole path that you've gone down. So I'd love to to take it from you and maybe let's just take it from, from the top and, and go through some of, 
you know, the early days of your boxing career um, and go through the story a little bit? I mean, we can start at the beginning when I first, when I first started to box. Um, you know, it's a funny story because a lot of the people that I, I trained with or boxed with um, at the elite level throughout the years, you know, these people had started boxing when they were, you know, two years old, like straight out of the womb, we're talking, you know what I mean? So it was, it was basically bred in them from, from birth. You know, they had maybe older siblings or a whole family of fighters. Um, and I remember when I was living at the Olympic training center and, and um, when I was on the Olympic team as the alternate, I used to have to fake my experience level. I used to tell people when I, you know, how many amateur fights I had, how many, you know, um, you know, when I started boxing, um, so, because I felt the only thing you can't fake in life is experience. You either have it or you don't. And all these kids that I was surrounded with had experience and I didn't start boxing literally until probably I was right about to graduate high school. So, you know, I was like 18 years old, really when I started boxing. So I felt, um, like I didn't have the experience of all these other elite athletes. So I used to say, Oh yeah, no problem. You know, I got like a hundred and 150 amateur fights and I started boxing early. And even when I turned professional, um, I think my record goes like 110 and 11. And, um, that's not even true. I mean, I'm lucky if I had maybe 50 or 60 amateur fights. Um, the 11 losses is, is true. Uh, a couple of the only times I really lost was I never lost in New England. I lost at like national tournaments against like, you know, top people in the United States or I lost international when I was on the USA team. So like USA versus Russia or whenever USA had a dual meet that I was a part of, um, I had a couple losses internationally. So the 11 losses in the amateur w- was right, but um, the experience level was, was definitely not what I made it out to be. And it, and it wasn't, it was just trying to, you know, have an image of being a, like these other kids when really I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't start until late. And, you know, I made the Olympic team really only four years or so after I ever put on a pair of boxing gloves. And, you know, in my mature age now, looking back at that, I see how cool of a story it was. But I, when I was in it, you know, with these kids that had all this experience and I was just trying to fit in it made more sense to me to try to actually fit in than to, you know, tell the cool story of, Hey, I just started how, you know, just started learning how to box. Um, I dedicated my life to where I got good fast and I made the Olympic team only really four years later. So I think that's kind of a much cooler story now that I look back, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's a really cool story and you did, you mentioned dedicating your life. I mean, you, it's not like you started and you toyed around with it. It sounds like, <clears throat> you went all in, man. Like you, you wanted to be the absolute best and you put every single thing you could into it. Well, I think it was coming off a real dark time, you know, in, in my youth, um, especially, you know, like end of middle school, high school years, you know, I, I really just was looking for something that I couldn't find. And, you know, I was getting in a lot of trouble with the law. I was getting arrested. Um, you know, I even experimented a, a bit with drugs and alcohol here and there. And, you know, eventually I, I basically dropped out of school, went to the alternative school, which is kind of like, it's similar to in high school, a uh, high school, you kind of get out and it's more like a GED than an actual um, high school diploma. So I ended up going to there just to finish school. But even at that, you know, that alternative school is only a couple hours a day. So it, it was much different. So um, getting in trouble, you know, being the center of attention in a negative way, you know, it, it, it really 
when I started boxing and I started going all in and I started getting in the newspaper and winning these fights and, and getting all this positive attention and positive promotion, it really was uh, something that, that, you know, really attracted me because I had been getting in trouble for so long to, to be looked at in a different way, you know, for doing something that I was proud of. It, it really, really attracted me. On top of that, boxing was really the first thing that I found that I ever really fell in love with. I mean, in the in my amateur days, I could go spend hours upon hours upon hours in the gym. I mean, literally go there and be there all day and night and, and never once think in my head, oh, man, this stinks. I don't want to be here. So I knew that it was something that, that I loved, that I loved doing, that I loved made, the way it made me feel, and the way that it, it got attention from these people by doing good in it. So, um you know, I'm the type of person when you find something you love or something that, that uh, you really enjoy doing it, you know, I kind of was all in and, and, and basically dedicated everything, you know, to that. I didn't have kids at the time. I didn't have a wife and it, it was just me. So, you know, I basically spent all my time, my time doing it. And, and, and man, you know, it's funny cause I didn't listen to anyone. You know how many people told me like, you know, all quick, get a job, do this, do that. And I, yeah, yeah, no problem. No problem. Once I made the Olympic team, not a damn person said anything about, about quitting anymore. So, um, you know, I just, I kind of was laser, laser focused. And, and the more, I, the deeper I got into the sport, into the, the levels of it and, you know, the Olympics, all that stuff, the more I was like, yeah, you know what, this is what I want to do for my life. And how old were you when you made the Olympic team in 08? Uh, I think I was like 22 or 23. I was definitely old enough to drink. I remember that, but I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> so, so going up, I mean, you're dedicating your life. You're saying from when you're starting in like early high school and you're, you're putting all this time and effort and there's the doubters. And obviously once you're, you get to that point and you reach the Olympic team, you can, you can pretty much shut everyone up. But when everyone's kind of doubting you early on, what made you, keep pushing forward and not say, yeah, you know, they're right. I'm going to quit and I'm going to go get a regular job or whatever. You just stop. Um, you know, I think earlier in my life when I was just a young, hungry guy and I had no attachments, it was super easy for me not to listen to anyone because I've never really listened to anyone my whole life. Even when I was getting in trouble and people were telling me not to do this or to do this or to go to school, I never live, never listen to anyone. And I'm not saying that it was the right thing, um, but it was what it was. You know what I mean? I was just in my own world. I, I, I always beat to my own drum. And the same thing went for boxing. So when people told me stuff, it didn't really even stick with me. It rolled off my back so fast because I knew what I loved and what I wanted to do. And it, it, it was never a question. I think it, it came more of a question in, the later, in my later career. You know, when I'm older, I have a wife, I have kids. And, and and the more kind of notoriety you get in the sport, the more the more the haters come out. I mean, to be honest, and I think that that got to me more because now I really had to sit down and think. All right, you know, is this what I should still be doing? Is this the best for my family? Am I being selfish in in the idea that that I'm just doing this for me? So I think later in my career, it took me more of a minute to sit down and and really assess the whole situation. But in my earlier days, it was easy, man. I didn't listen to no one, and I just did what I wanted to do. And, you know, I knew boxing is what I loved, and I was just going to do it. It wasn't even a question. It wasn't even a question of, you know, what happens if this fails? What are you going to do next? 
you know, when I, when I got out of high school, I, you know, I didn't have a, I barely had a high school education cause I never really went. So it's like, I didn't have many doors open anyway, but that's just, I was kind of living in the moment, man. I just knew that I love training. I love fighting and I love everything about the sport. And it, it wasn't like me. Okay. If this, you know, I wasn't looking at the backup plan. If this fails, what do I do now? I was just focused in the moment of, man, I love this and I'm going to do it. Um, so, you know, the, the, the naysayers and, and all the doubt, it, it really didn't affect me. It didn't get to me whatsoever in the wow. early years. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, but where does the story go from there? Uh, so I, I, I jumped on the scene quick in the boxing and uh, I won two national tournaments back to back in the same year. And that was the same year that I made the Olympic team um, and it's funny because I wasn't actually the person that competed in the Olympics. I was an alternate. So I was actually blessed and even lucky to be able to go because there were a lot of alternates and they really only took three or four because if you're in one weight class, you can kind of, you know, spar up a weight class or spar down a weight class. So you could really get three people ready, your weight class above you and below you. So they didn't take everyone. They only took, took a couple people. Um, and I was one of them and I, and I was lucky enough to go and, um, man, it ate, it ate me up having to watch at the Olympics and not compete. The person that won the gold in my weight class, um, I had beat like a month earlier in a dual meet, Dominican Republic versus USA. And, and I beat him by a substantial amount. So I knew like, all right, I'm watching this kid that I just beat win a gold medal and, you know, have a dream come true, probably be a star overnight and definitely be financially good for a while. So it, it was tough, but, you know, it's, a, it's it's always good and bad. I still got to go. I was still part of the Olympic team. Um, but I was a lot older than all these other people. You know, they were younger. You know, they had already been groomed with hundreds of amateur fights. You know, I'm talking about my teammates. They had been boxing forever. So I knew as soon as coming, uh, coming home from the Olympics in 2008 that I was going to try to turn professional right away um, and, and see where I could go in the professional ranks. So when I came home from Beijing, in 2008, I, I turned pro shortly after. I think I got home in, I don't know, August or something, and then ended up turning pro in, like, September or October. And then I started climbing my um, the professional ranks at that time. Yep. And so it's clear, you know, it was clear in your mind at that point that you had it in you, um, right, because that guy, you know, you beat the, one, the person that won gold. So you knew – you had the skill and, and you had put in the time to, to get there. So you go pro. Um, and then how long does it take to climb through the ranks? And how is that affecting you at this point, like financially, where you're low-level professional boxer? Um, are you a firefighter at that time, or how else are you helping to earn an income? Dude, I, I, well, first of all, I always knew that I had it, and I still know that I have it, and I have yet to been able to – perform up to my potential. And I think that's one of the biggest things is actually stepping away from the sport is I know what my potential is and to not live up to that potential. Um, you know, that's probably one of the biggest regrets you're going to have in my opinion as a person, because I know what I am capable of and I have yet been able to do it. And it has nothing to do with the sport. It has to do with my, with my, with myself, with my, you know, my habits and, and my mental status and just one time or another, something wasn't right to make it happen. You know what I mean? So I've always known that I have it in me. It's just a matter of getting it out me 
to be able to perform at that level and, and to achieve all the dreams I've set out to, to be. So going pro was an easy decision for me. It's what I wanted to do for my life. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, boxing is not a sport where, you know, you sign a contract to the Red Sox. Now you're part of the team. You have a locker room, you have a stadium, you have a plane, you have training camp. It's not like that. Boxing, you're on your own, man. So it's like I signed with a promoter out of Florida right off the bat. And, um, you know, I think he gave me like a $5,000 signing bonus. But on top of that, it, it was really nothing. You know what I mean? It was it was whatever, you know, some people worked a job. I was lucky enough to have a manager at the time who gave me a stipend of about, you know, I can't remember what it was exactly, but it was a couple hundred bucks or a thousand bucks a month that I was expected to live off so that I could train full time. Um, and, and that's what I did. I mean, I literally trained full time. I had no attachments. I was back and forth from here to Florida, uh, training, sparring, fighting as often as I could. Um, and I was, I was not a firefighter. I, I wasn't a firefighter uh, until, you know, two years ago. That's when I became a firefighter. And I'm 33 now. So I was, I was older and at home when I was that. But, you know, I, I trained full time. And all the way until like 2000, I think it was 2011. Yeah, 2011. Uh, my 14th fight was when I had my first hiccup in the road and I had my first loss. And it was on national TV on Showtime. It was a huge fight. It was kind of like one of those things where like I was a prospect and they were towing me for a while. Um, and then this was a fight on Showtime on, you know, he was undefeated as well. It was a big step up fight. The winner would have then jumped on to bigger fights and, and, and bigger stuff. And that's when I had my first hiccup and my first loss. And it's kind of like one of those situations where I said before, I know what's in me. I have the potential. Um, that was your perfect example of one of what, you know, you have buckets. That's the way I look at it. And, and, each time you're filling a bucket, you have one for training, one for your family, one for nutrition, one for your job, you know, whatever your buckets are as a person. And you're, you know, supposed to equally fill these buckets. Well, on this night, my, ment my mental status bucket was empty and I really didn't know how to deal with the pressure. My anxiety got me bad. I had a massive panic attack in the locker room. Um, it, it, you know, I kind of like was like a deer in headlights in my first like real experience you know, getting that limelight, being on TV, you know, being, being out there, you know what I mean? And, and I didn't know how to handle it. And um, ultimately I went into the fight and, and got beat up pretty bad. You know, my, my mind game wasn't on and, you know, that's the first thing that, that comes to the equation. And when that wasn't on, nothing else was on my, my boxing ability, you know, nothing. So I ended up taking my first loss and that was real tough. You know what I mean? That was real tough to kind of get a chink in the armor, you know, especially so early in your career. I think boxing's a sport where, you know, that those losses are real important. People don't ever want losses. They can derail you, set you back. So, you know, as a, as a prospect or someone turning pro to try to build their career, they're building this big record with no losses. You know, that's, that's the game plan for everybody that turns pro. Get a bunch of wins, no losses and jump into that next level of, you know, elite, you know, TV, HBO, Showtime, pay-per-view, you know, keep climbing the ladder. And on this night, I stumbled big time on the ladder, and it, it brought me definitely back down um, a couple of rungs. I mean, that, that was a dark time in my life. 
I had just met my wife, Diane. Um, you know, Liam was my first son, was only about a month old at, at this fight. We literally had no money whatsoever. I mean, we were living in like a box for an apartment. Um, and it was tough because on this time I tried to have a training camp while getting ready to have a baby, but I also was getting ready for the biggest fight of my life. And, and, you know, the number one thing that I am is a dad and a husband. And, and from day one, I've always, you know, put that a, a high, you know, number one on my priority list. So to have this new baby, this new family, um, at the same time I was getting ready for the biggest fight. I mean, I think just everything kept adding on and adding on and adding on until it came to a head and exploded. And unfortunately for me, well, not unfortunately, because I think there's two ways to take a loss and that's anything, any type of failure. You either learn from it and you grow and you better yourself or that loss defines you and, and you can't get over it and it's going to set you back a lot. So unfortunately it all came to a head that night and it wasn't what I expected in my mind, but you know, in the long run, looking back now, it definitely helped me grow and continue to have the resiliency that a lot of people don't have. Yeah, man. And I remember, you know, maybe to speak a little bit on the mental aspect you talked about some of the buckets and that's I think about that too like the different buckets in life and that's how I phrase it and you mentioned at that point you know the mental bucket didn't really get any acknowledgement from you and I remember when the first thing you said when you spoke to our company you walked in and you said something about your anxiety you said you know, I dominate my anxiety and that's the mindset you have but you've come a long way since that day and that, that night of that fight so what what have you done to help help ease some of those those tensions well i think the biggest thing is is you you can't dominate something that you don't even know is there in the first place so if you're in denial in delusion or just don't know and are unaware then you can't have a defense to it because you don't even know what's going on and i think that in my earlier days with the anxiety with the panic i didn't really know what it was i didn't understand it i just knew that i felt a certain way and i couldn't do some things because i felt like my head was a certain way and, and that's how it was in my earlier days. So, you know, looking back, I could see how much of an anxiety cloud I was in and a panic attack thinking I was going to die on the inside. But at the time, I didn't know that. I just knew that something was going on and something was seriously wrong because I didn't feel right. But I didn't know what it was and I didn't know, you know, I had no defense to it. And, and that's why that mental bucket it was empty because I didn't even know it needed to be filled. I didn't even know what I didn't know. Do you understand that? So, yeah. um, you know, I never even worked on the mental bucket. I just worked on grinding, on, on training, on being in shape, on, you know, focusing on, on what I had to do. And then when it was time to really mentally bear down, um, you know, the bucket was empty. There was nothing there for me to do. And, and, and that anxiety, that panic got the best of me. And I think, as I progressed over the years, I started to understand that anxiety and that panic and those feelings. And, you know, you look at it like this, you have a panic attack every day for a year and you think you're going to die, but you don't die. Eventually you start saying, man, what the fuck? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not dying. What is this? You know what I mean? So I started understanding it, learning it, dealing with it. You know, I did a lot of reading on it and, um, you know, eventually I just got real comfortable with it. And I'm not saying that it's a, uh, you know, it still comes on all the time and sometimes it still really sucks and sometimes it fools me and sometimes it, it gets me real uncomfortable. But for the majority of it, I've done so much 
meditation work and, and, you know, dealing with these issues, panic, anxiety, that I'm, I'm very comfortable with them. They're familiar now. I can, I know when they're coming on, I can, you know, I can still function elite and optimal focused without them, you know, taking any of, of my attention. And I think a lot of that comes with learning about them, learning about yourself um, and experience. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm, I'm older now. I've, I've had many years of practice with this stuff. I've had many situations that have caused high anxiety that I've had to been able to practice with. You know what I mean? So um, I think it's just learning about it and dealing with it. So how do you use – so, you know, if we take it back to that night, obviously – you know, the anxiety, you know, hurt you when you got to that big stage. And then as you progress through your career, you mentioned that at the same time, you got all this shit going on, right? You're, you're trying to build up your career, the passion that you have. You've got, you know, a new wife, you got a, a, a new son. At the same time, you're going through all this anxiety. You know, how did you cope with all of the, all of that happening at the same time um, as you're, you're progressing through your career? How did you cope with that? Well, I mean, fight night, I didn't cope with it. You know what I mean? I didn't even realize how stressed I was until it was too late. So I don't think there really was any coping mechanism at that time. Um, and, and, I, and I, listen, I've always had stuff going on. I still do. Like when we get to the end of my story, I mean, we could talk about how I'm literally in a treatment facility as we speak right now. Like I've always had stuff going on. And that's what I try to tell you about not reaching my potential. I've always had some sort of life personal, mental, something that's blocked me from achieving my dreams. The thing is that I've never quit trying to achieve them. With one failure after the next failure, after the next failure, I keep getting up and keep pushing on and keep coming back. So, um, you know, I think it's being able to, to really be okay with everything that's happened. You know, first you got to decipher between what you can control and what you can't control. You know, a lot of the things that happen, you can't control. And, you know, for you to let them take your chi is not so fair because you don't even have control in the first place. The things that you can control are the things that you need to square away. I mean, if it's pre-planning your next day so that you can wake up and just bing, bang, boom, you're out the door instead of waking up in the morning and trying to get all your stuff and not know where it is and, oh, no, my clothes are dirty and now I got to do this and change my outfit – the things you can't control, you got to control. I mean, you need to square yourself away. And that's, you know, in boxing, it's training, it's being on weight, it's, you know, being fight ready, so that you don't need to get ready in life. It's about, you know, being put away. You know, for me, it's picking up after myself, making sure that my stuff is all put away, being trying to be very organized. That way, I'm very clean and very organized and very ready for anything if anything needs to happen or if I need to get something I know where it is and there it is you know with career whatever if if you know you work in an office and your job is to do these reports you know you take the time to do them the right way to study those reports to know them in and out and, and to get them done and I think with me I, I had so many bad habits and things that I viewed as negative throughout my whole life and a lot of them went, you know, under the radar. So the more you enforce a habit, the more it becomes part of you. So I think for me, looking back, you could spend a whole life trying to 
fix yourself or wonder why something is the way it is or change it or go about this. And, you know, in the meantime, your whole life is passing you, passing you by. And I think a lot of my life that that's happened. I've had these issues or these things that affected me negatively and I had to learn about them and figure them out and then change them and fix them. And, and I spent so much time throughout my whole life doing that, that I think I'm at the point now where I've grown so much and learned so much about myself. I could spend my whole life, you know, still fixing myself, but now I've done enough fixing. Now it's about doing, now it's about doing. And when I mean doing, I mean living life and, you know, gaining success in my career. Like, and, and, and a lot of the time you really have to sit back and be grateful. Like, like I'm in a tough, tough, tough spot right now. So the way that I'm thinking is like, I'm, you know, more at the bottom, but then when you start this podcast and you read me this whole resume, I mean, it sounds good. And I do have accomplishments that I should be proud of. And, you know, sometimes you just got to sit back and really just be like, you know, am I being a perfectionist right now? Or am I just literally trying to gain success? And every time I get success, it's not good enough and I need more. Or, you know, am I really just being in the moment and being grateful for the things I do have and working my hardest to try to get things that I don't have? And, you know, that's the point where I'm at right now. And I don't think I've ever been at that point. That's why I've always been short on one bucket or another to gain that success in life, to gain that success in career, to gain that success in, in other um, areas of life. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. I mean, and that's the thing too. It's such a balance and I try to strike it too. Cause I'm an ambitious guy too. You know, I want to, you know, I'm in sales. I want to have the best numbers. I want to have the best podcasts I can. You know, I want to be healthy. I want to, you know, all the, I have a lot of goals in these different buckets too. And you got to kind of strike the balance of, you know, you got to work really, really hard, but at some point too, like you, you achieve certain things, you got to say, Hey, you know, that was pretty cool. And, and try to be grateful for that too, because you're, you know, you personally, I mean, you've done a lot, man. You've done a lot. Um, and I, I want to do to keep on the train of the story a little bit too, because I know that we're, we're only really scratching the surface. I know there's a lot more to, to your career after that one fight too. Oh yeah, absolutely. So after that fight, I came home just, just absolutely, you know, down, beaten up, just mentally, beaten up. I broke my nose during the fight. I had to go in for a surgery, like nasal reconstruction. It was absolutely miserable. And um, I really had no idea what was next. I didn't, I didn't even know my career was going to continue because that's something that could set you back so much that, you know, I don't know, maybe you wouldn't come back from it. But like I said before, it's just a failure and it's not in me to quit or, or to give up because it's hard. So at that time, I, I knew I wanted to change my scenery and I wanted to get a coach that was at the elite level, someone that, that had all these fighters and who had, who had been to that before, who knew the game. So there was this guy named Ronnie Shields and he was a coach in Texas. And, you know, he trained like the likes of like Evan and Tyson um, back in the day. So he was a big name and he had been there and I got in contact with him and he, and he was willing to train me. So, um, you know, I remember this like it was yesterday. I, I We had no money, and I, I actually had to sit down with one of my buddies who was successful at the time, and I asked him to borrow, like, I don't remember the exact amount, but it was something like six or 700 bucks. It was a lot of money because I had no way to get a plane ticket to go down there. So I took the money that he gave me, 
Um, I bought a plane ticket. I left Diane and Liam here in the apartment and I flew down to Texas and uh, got a one-way ticket. I literally just packed a bag with some boxing stuff and I flew down there. Um, I didn't know anybody. They put me up in an apartment that one of the sponsors had and it was, uh, it was in a crappy area, man. And, and it was a, it was a rough going. I mean, it was cockroaches. I used to keep the lights on at night. So the cockroaches didn't come out in the dark and bite me. And it was real bad. We didn't, I didn't have any furniture. And I remember walking to the gym every day. Um, but, but I was starting at the bottom again. I was back down the ladder. You know, I was at one rung and then that night happened where I lost and I was back down. So I was kind of like starting over. So I worked my way back up, got in good shape. You know, I would fight when I could. And then whatever money I got from the fight, I'd try to just send it home to Diane. Um, you know, and I did that for a real long time and, and I grinded my way. And eventually I started, uh, I met this guy named Ken Casey, who, you know, was really like a savior. And, you know, he's a dropkick Murphy's and he's a bass player. And, um, you know, he found me in this apartment down there in Texas. And, you know, he really, you know, he probably felt bad for me at the time. I was struggling bad. And uh, he decided to help me to be my manager in boxing. Boxing and music is very similar. So he took me under his wing. And, um, you know, I started building. I eventually I got an apartment. Eventually I moved Diane and the, the kids down to Texas with me. So Liam and Diane were there. And, um, you know, I, was, I went on tour with the Gop Kicks and he took me under his wing and was getting my name out there and showing me what it was to build a brand and, um, you know, basically he was like my mentor and, and that information that I learned from him still to this day, I always tell him like, what I learned from you was so valuable. It's not something you can ever learn in school or, or in a book, or it's just the way you act with people and the way you're out there. So I really got like an education on, on this stuff and, um, built my way back up to being back on TV again for, uh, for Fox sports. Um, and again, it was one of those things I was you know, you have these habits that you keep reinforcing years and years. And one of the biggest habits that I was reinforcing was all these negative habits when it came to food, um, to nutrition. Um, and whenever you exercise or deal with a scale for a lifestyle, you got to be real careful because, you know, it, it can, it can mess you up real good. And, you know, I had this, this, bad, bad eating disorder. It's, it was just lingering. I mean, I'm in a treatment facility now, but we're talking about a decade ago. That's how long, you know, it, it was a while ago. So I wasn't maintaining my weight the way that it needed to be. Um, at this time, Diane had already came to Texas. She didn't like it. It, it, it. You know, she didn't really want to be there. So she she ended up moving back home. So I was in Texas alone. And me and her's relationship was really being strained because she was home. I was away. I had so much guilt because I was missing my kid and missing being a dad and missing being a husband. Um, but at the same time, I was trying to follow this career, this boxing career, so that I could set my family up. So it was like a double-edged sword. Um, and it just, everything was weighing down on me, and I ended up quitting. I ended up quitting. It was like two weeks before that big fight. I ended up quitting the sport of boxing. I was, I, I knew this guy who had a flight benefit and he allowed me to fly on standby for free. So I remember I used to go to training all week in Texas. And then Saturday after my last session, I would drive straight to the airport, get on any standby flight I could to go anywhere to then connect to go to Boston. I'd usually get off the plane if I made it. 
like one o'clock in the morning, take the bus home to Framingham and then give myself literally like a half an hour to talk to my wife because I was trying to save my marriage and then be there for her. Wake up in the morning at 6 a.m., give my, you know, give Liam a kiss on the cheek and go back to the airport and do the whole thing over back to Texas so that I could be there for Monday a.m. training. And I did that, you know, I don't even know, probably for like a month or two. And, and it, it goes back to the thing where, you know, I'm trying to save my marriage and my family, but at the same time, I'm trying to get ready for this, this biggest fight of my life again on TV. Um, and I ended up quitting, you know, it was just, it was too much on me. Uh, the pressure of everything, my, the eating, you know, I was probably like 30 pounds overweight or over my fight weight because I couldn't control my eating habits. Um, and I ended up quitting. I went home, I quit boxing. I quit boxing for about a year. I went home and started working at Trader Joe's and I worked at a grocery store and I was just trying to be a dad and a husband and, you know, be there for my family. Um, and that lasted about a year. And after I was kind of in a better situation with my family, with Diane, um, then eventually I, w I actually went back to the sport of boxing. Um, you know, I don't have any regrets about that. I, I, I and a lot of it was mental, the pressure, but, but I also made a decision, you know, to choose my family over the sport of boxing. And I don't regret it. I went home. I saved my marriage. Me and Diana are, you know, better than ever. So it, it was something I don't regret doing. Um, but I think the way that I did it, I kind of regret because I didn't really, I kind of just flaked on everyone. It was like, hey, listen, I can't handle life or boxing anymore. I quit. See you later. And I think I heard a lot of people that, you know, were really had my back and were helping me. And it wasn't my my intention at all. I just, man, I was so messed up. And, and no one could understand that. No one could understand how messed up I was mentally, starting to be physically because I couldn't handle these eating issues that I had. Um, and when I went home, that's when I really started getting a grip on anxiety and panic. Um, you know, I was just so torn that it ended that way and that I let, again, my mental status get in the way of my dreams of, of, of doing this stuff. So I went on this mission to really learn about myself. And that's really when my journey of self-discovery and bettering myself started was that year when I was working at Trader Joe's, you know, I learned everything I could about anxiety and panic and myself. And, you know, I've read all these books, everything from stress of life to combat to self-compassion books. I mean, I, everything, I was doing everything in my power to kind of learn about myself and figure out why I was like the way I was and to start making changes so I could achieve these things in life that I wanted to. And, um, you know, my family was in a good place and I decided to come back to the sport of boxing. This time I was going to do it a little bit different. I was going to try to live home in Framingham and fight at the same time I was being a dad and a husband. So we'd all be together. So basically I'd have training camp at home with my family. And, um, you know, it, it worked out okay. Um, I, I ended up coming back to the sport. I fought again. I worked my way back up. And I ended up getting another really, really big opportunity. It was on TV. And, and it was just a coincidence that it was that first kid that beat me. His name is Gabriel Bracero. The kid that beat me on my 14th fight. It was a rematch. Oh, wow. And it was, yeah, and it was at home. And the funny thing was is, I feel like the universe gave me a redo, right? It, it gave me my second child, which is Keegan, at the same time this fight happened. So now I was home, 
I was getting ready for a second child, being birthed, going through the process with Diane. At the same time, I was getting ready for this huge fight against this kid that already beat me. And I look back now and I say, man, I can be proud of that. That was a victory. I did everything that I should have done when it came to being with my family and, and, and the baby coming. And I did everything that I could have in the gym getting ready even the mental game. This is when I started learning how to meditate. So I filled my mental bucket off the roof for this fight and, and all the other ones. So I look back and it, and it was a good victory and I'm proud of it because the same exact situation from my 14th fight happened again. And, and um, this time I handled it. It didn't get the best of me. And I went into that fight and it was at home. And this wasn't yet again, the chance to, you know, step to the next ladder, the next rung, finally where I haven't been. And um, I remember I really don't think I've ever been more ready for a fight. I mean, I sparred. I did everything I had to do. I, I was so ready. And um, I walked into the fight, and I ended up getting knocked unconscious in the first 30 seconds of the fight. It was just like one of those one of those once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-million chance. He threw a punch at the same exact time, and it was perfectly placed on my chin. And um, I was out cold. I, I was out cold. First 30 seconds of the first round on national TV, out cold. And, um, you know, I, I honestly don't remember a lot of it because it's, there's like a chunk of time that just is never going to come back because number one, I was unconscious. And then when I came back to it, you know, stuff is so cloudy. I can't even really remember. But anyways, they brought me to the hospital and you know, I was there for a while and I had a concussion. And, you know, now I was going home with the same exact outcome, if not even worse, because, the other time, at least I didn't get knocked out. I just kind of lost the decision and didn't look good. This time I got clean cut out. And man, that's you know, it was crazy. later in my, that, yeah, it's crazy yeah, that it was, all that training and it comes down in 30 seconds and you get a, a, a unlucky, you know, break and you get cut in the, in the jaw yeah. and then you're, you're out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, uh, it shook me up. Big time, you know what I mean? I, I basically went home with the same situation. This time it was later in my career. It was another loss to someone that already beat me. It was in the worst fashion that it could have. And, um, you know, this is, you know, I think maybe this might have been one of the times when, when, the, when the haters really started to kind of come out because when I decided that I wanted to go back to the sport of boxing after that, I think a lot of people didn't want me to or, or didn't think I had the ability to, to anymore. Um, and I think that's when the, the haters really first started coming out. I think there was probably a lot of doubt in myself too, because, you know, I really thought that I had put everything I could have into this and, um, it didn't work out the way I wanted to. So that, you know, I think it created a lot of doubt in myself. Um, and, and again, I, I went home in the same situation, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen with my career moving forward. You know, I was kind of devastated. I had a concussion and, um, you know, I, I didn't know what was going to happen moving forward from that. And uh, I think I took another year off after that, after that knock, I took another year off. Um, that's when I started kind of speaking to schools. That's when I really started to like, you know, get my story out there. Um, and, and again, it, it was still a, still a process of figuring myself out. You know, that never stopped. I was still learning about myself. Every time I went and spoke to these kids, I was, trying to help them and relate them, but I was also figuring stuff out for myself. Um, so, you know, it was, it was another tough year and, uh, I, I got a couple, 
odd jobs. I remember I got a job with the union for a while and I was doing demolition. Um, I got a job with a landscaper and I was landscaping. It sucked big time. I'm not a big fan of landscaping. Um, but you know, I did what I had to do until I went back to the sport of boxing. And what, what year is all that taking place? Is that like the, like two or three years ago or is that farther back? Yeah, that, no, that was, um, Man, I don't know. I'd have to go on Box Rec because they tell you the date of the fights. But it might have been like 2014 or 16 or something. I'm not sure. Yeah. So, wow. and, and so you took a year off. You're still in mass at that point. Um, yeah. But it's this. it seems like it's this calling of yours that something inside you that's probably chipping away and says, you know, whether it's true or not, you're saying, hey, man, like, you still got more in you. You can reach, you know, a higher goal. You, you, you haven't hit your potential yet. And it kind of pulls you back in. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like you, you go back in for it. Right. I mean, you, you yeah. And, and I did go back in, in and, and it, it, so the thing is like, absolutely. I, you know, I'm always wanting to be as real as possible. So if, if I was, you know, washed up or if I didn't have the ability or my senses weren't anything, or, you know, if I've lost my touch, I've lost it. I would be the first one to tell myself that and to be real with it and to step away and figure something else out. And after that knockout, it really made me question like, okay, listen, this is my life, my longevity. Cause I really, I'd never been knocked down or out or anything like that in my life. So to really get clipped like that, it made me really be like, all right, you know, I need to worry about my health, my longevity, my head. I don't want to, you know, being punched all the time. So I knew what I was capable of if I could get there and I still haven't even gotten there yet. And that's why I'm still grinding it out to get there. Cause I know when I get that chance, when I get there, it will be a time when I win, when I win, when I will be ready. All my buckets will be filled and all the reasons I've had will finally be a reality. And I think that, you just have to have that hope and that belief and that willing to keep going, even when times are tough, even when, you know, it's easier to quit or to just pack it in and throw in the towel. You know what I mean? And I think that's why when you get to that spot and you achieve it, it's going to feel that much better because of the struggle to get there. And, you know, everyone has their own struggle and, you know, mine's been a lot. It's been a lot for a very long time. And, you know, but the one thing is it, it never broke me. It never broke me. I always had that hope and that willingness to just get up and try again. And, um, you know, we, we still go to, you know, I went, I went back into the sport. You know, I had to do it the hard way. It wasn't easy getting a fight. I had to, you know, be the B-side now, which is in boxing, the A-side, B-side. You know, somebody who's kind of like the promoter's guide and the B-side is just the opponent. So I had to go back in as the B-side and and try to beat the A side to be the A side, and I ended up getting a fight offer with only ten days to fight for the uh, WBC, but it was like an intercontinental belt. And you know, I was definitely the B side. They they underestimated everything about me. You know, they literally just thought that I was some bum that, that this kid was going to come knock me out, and that was it, and I was going to get a paycheck and go home. But you like I don't that, think though. that people. Yeah, you know what? I Well, I may have liked it, but part of it hurt. You know what I mean? That these people would think of me like that and, and, and have that much, 
no respect for me. And so at the point I did like it, I like being the underdog. I've always been the underdog. And if anything, I work better when I have something to prove to myself. So yeah, I did like it, but at the same time it hurt a little bit as well. So, you know, at this time I was in shape, I was ready. And I ended up knocking that kid out in like the second round or something clean out. And I won that little belt and it was kind of like a resurrection. And, um, I ended up getting another fight and I looked really good. That's when I was away at training camp in Colorado, when I was supposed to do the interview with you. Um, I was, you know, I was focused. I was in a real training camp and I ended up looking really good against that kid. Um, it was one of my best performances. And then from that fight, I got a shot at the world championship belt, you know, of the world, the WBC, the legit WBC. Um, and that fight was, you know, that's like the Super Bowl of boxing or the World Series. Like, that's what you've been waiting for is that, that W, you know, any of those legitimate belts. I mean, there's, I know there's so many, but there's a couple legitimate ones that you are the champion when you have these belts. And, and it was my opportunity to fight for that belt. And that fight was, should have been, you know, in July. But So what happened was I went all the way to the fight, and then actually the ambulance and the paramedics took me to the hospital, and they were talking about, uh, some sort of kidney failure because of the way that I made weight and the dehydration. So I actually almost made it to the fight, man. I almost got my shot at reaching my potential. And again, because of one bucket not being filled, I ended up almost killing myself, having to go to the hospital in front of the whole world. Fight got canceled. Um, I slept in the hospital. You know, the whole world knew what happened. Um, you know, it was a bad, bad, bad situation. And, um, what exactly was it? You were just too high overweight and you is, was it anything unique in terms? I know that there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes into cutting weight. I have a good friend that was a longtime wrestler who's told me a lot about that, but was it anything unique that you did or is it just, it just kind of, it, it struck a weird way in your body with your, where it, it kind of messed up your kidneys? No, I mean, I think I just dehydrated too much for too long. Um, you know, it, it was a fight on the road, so I had to go to California. I wasn't used to the travel. I wasn't used to the desert. My weight was too high. Um, and it just, you know, I have a very limited education when it comes to the actual nutrition in the body. So I think I only know the ways that I know about making weight throughout my experience. Um, and I think the biggest thing comes down to, to uh, a serious eating disorder, man. I mean, if my weight was on weight, you would never have to lose it. If you could maintain a healthy eating habits, a healthy weight um, while you exercise, then it would have been a non-issue. I would have already been on weight. But because of my eating disorder, because of all these habits, that bucket wasn't getting filled the way it should have. And it ended up catching up with me at the exact time when I was supposed to be you know, my time to shine to fight for this world championship belt. And, um, unfortunately it, uh, because of the dehydration and, um, you know, it, it really put my life in jeopardy. You know what I mean? I remember the paramedic, the paramedics coming into the hotel room and taking me to the hospital. And I slept over in the hospital. They gave me 11 bags of IVs that first night in the hospital. Jesus. Um, so, you know, I was severely dehydrated and, um, you know, it's, 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 but that's why, you know, then I come back and, um, you know, now I'm in a eating disorder intensive patient facility here in Colorado. That's, uh, 
you know, a four week program and it's uncomfortable, man. It's, it's me dealing with habits and issues that I've had for my whole life and some things that, you know, have affected me so negatively. Um, you know, it's definitely out of my comfort zone. They don't let you exercise and, you know, they make you eat a variety of things that I would never normally eat as, uh, you know, as an athlete and, um, you know, like therapy what, like, and like dietitian what? and nutrition. They make me eat ice cream. I, I don't, you know, and th- these are just habits I have with these food rules. Like I like to be optimal because I know what the difference between being optimal and not optimal because I've been optimal for so long in training camp, then I fall off. And if I'm eating off, you know, unhealthy stuff or, you know, things that aren't optimal to me, I can see the difference. I'm very aware with myself and, and how I am. So like, it's not like that in, in, in the program, in the program, you know, there's no restriction whatsoever as you're starting to learn about yourself and your eating habits and change stuff. So like, you know, when I got to eat ice cream, I don't like it. So they is part of what they do like telling you to eat these different foods so that you know how your body reacts or you, or you can tell yourself to stop if you're, if you're going crazy or what's the, what's the point of them not being optimal with your nutrition during this program? Cause the point of it is that it's all food and you should have no restrictions. The, the theory behind this type of program or uh, in a lot of the eating disorder world that, that I've been learning about um, is that, you know, their idea that restriction leads to binge eating leads to eating, you know, uncontrollably because you're restricting yourself, saying you can't have stuff. And, it, and you know, which is something I've done my whole life. I restrict myself to make weight, to, to be in training camp. And then, you know, after training camp's over, I go off the deep end, and eat whatever I want, totally go to the opposite spectrum of where I just was. So, um, you know, I think a lot of the eating disorder, eating disorder world they try to get away from restriction. They, they make you get comfortable eating everything. No, you know, trying to explain this, not bad. Um, you know, I'm on a meal schedule where I got to eat this amount of food every day. Um, so many times a day. And like, I can pick from the chart where I got to like, see what I like and what I want and put it together. Um, I mean, the recommendation when I first went to him was literally to go to inpatient, which means to live at a facility because of my issues and I I got out of it because it's not realistic. I can't, you know, I mean, it is realistic. I could go, but right now I'm still getting situated in, in Colorado with my family, with my kids, with my wife. I couldn't just leave for a month and leave them here without being situated. So we came to an agreement with the therapist and the people living there. I, um, I do about eight hours a day at this intensive program, which is Monday through Friday. Um, I mean, it's it's nothing to mess with. It's pretty serious. You you got to think. I mean, the coping mechanism doesn't really matter, right? For me, it's food because that's my environment. That's what I've been around for my whole life. That's what I've had to restrict or to change or to to you know these these habits that I've been reinforcing. But if not food, what? I mean, people have all their own issues: drugs, gambling, sex. I mean, it doesn't matter what the coping mechanism is. It's what's it's what's become habit to you and it's what's affecting you. And, and for me, food is what got in me because it's been my environment. It's, it's been part of me. So, you know, by no means is this some thing that I can, you know, kind of just shake. I needed professional help. I, I needed to understand it more. I needed to know what was going on because, you know, not only was it ruining my career, which it revolves around keeping my weight down and in shape, but it almost killed me. 
so it was something that I really had to sit down and be like, all right, man, before you do anything else, you got to take care of this because if you don't, it's looking like a lot of stuff isn't going to work out with this around and, and potentially that could be my life. So, you know, it's something I took real serious. And not only that, dude, like it's one thing if you're, you say you're, say you're, you know, say you got to issue alcohol, right? Alcohol is your issue. That's what you let get in. And that's what you got to deal with. You go to AA, got a bunch of guys around you can talk about, you can get that feeling of connectedness of, Hey, you know, man, this dude does what I do. I thought I was the only one that did that because I do it in secret and I don't tell anybody, but Hey, turns out that a lot of other people do it. I'm not alone. Right. Well, that was a little bit hard for me because there's not a lot of guys in this world of eating disorders. I mean, I know that there are and they're around, but there's not a lot of them that are known. So when I'm going to this treatment facility and I'm with 20 women and just me, it's uncomfortable, man. Wicked uncomfortable. So, but that's part of your story too, man, that, that, that's why I appreciate you coming on and, and being so open about this is that everyone, everyone's got issues, you know, and, and good spots and bad spots. And the more you cover up the bad spots, the worse shape you're going to be in at some point, you know, and being able to open up about that. And if you need help on something, you got to go to someone or, you know, and just be and more. That's more exactly what I think, man. That's exactly what I think. I think, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, for me, it's food. And I think when, when you have an issue, whatever the issue is, you got to get help, man. You can't act like it's not happening. You can't act like it's not there. And if you've tried for so long to do it on your own and you still aren't able to get over these hurdles, then you need to get help, man. You need to, to tell other people. You need to find other people that know what they're doing. And, you know, the, the, the brain may be a very intricate thing that people don't know about, but guess what? A lot of people do know a lot about the brain and about habits and about studies and about how the body works. And, you know, I enjoy my therapy time with, with the therapist because I can talk about stuff and I can figure stuff out. So that's the biggest thing, man. If you, if you got an issue, you got to get help, man. You have to, because you're doing yourself a disservice of not being able to be yourself and operate through life yourself. If you have some sort of ankle weight holding you back, man. And that's exactly what this eating disorder was. It was a ankle weight. that was, controlling my life, you know, ruining my career, affecting my family and, um, you know, almost killing me. So it's something that I had to address right away. And, and that's a, that's the step of life that I'm at right now. I'm in this facility. Um, and I'm almost done with it. It's, it's done November 1st. And, you know, I think for once, I think for once all my buckets are going to be full, man. I really do. And I think that that's why as soon as I'm done with this facility, I'm hitting the ground running. I'm going straight into training camp. I'm going to fight again. I'm going to get another opportunity. It's going to be the biggest opportunity in my life. And this time all my buckets are going to be filled. And I'm going to reach that potential that I've been just clawing and crawling and grinding to get to my whole life. Man, I believe it. I believe it. I mean, I, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be in your corner, man. I'll be rooting for you the whole way and, and following along, man, because that's, that's the thing is, you know, a lot of uh, professional athletes or just people that are successful always point to that, like, you know, you got to get, you got to get all your, all your, your, your mind right and your body right and all that st- spirit, all, all that stuff, um, yeah. to be able to get to where you need to be, and it's, it's a constant process, man. You're never. 
you're never going to be perfect. So it's always just trying to get better. And you're, you're someone Absolutely. that's pushing to get, you know, you're, you're obviously training hard, but you're working on the mind game. You're working on the nutrition game. You're working on the family game, all that stuff, man. Yeah. So it's awesome to see. I mean, I, I, uh, I think that, you know, I, I do hear a lot of people say that they're, you know, like when they're talking about fame and fortune and stuff and, you know, that they say they're built for it. And, you know, I'm totally on the opposite opposite side. I, I don't believe that I'm built for fame or, or any of this stuff, man. I don't I don't like being the center of attention. I, I hate putting myself out there. You know, I don't like TV. I don't like interviews. I don't like talking. Um so I'm not built for it at all. So so every time it comes close in the past, it, it has really affected me negatively. But I, I do think that this time, like I said before, that when it comes back around, I'll be ready for it and I'll be able to embrace it and, and finally achieve some of the bigger goals that I've been working for for my whole life. I mean, I know I've had a, a lot of little ones that, that I really look back and I'm grateful for, but there's a couple on my list that I've been working for for a long time that I haven't been able to scratch off yet that, you know, I think it's just a matter of time now. And and you know what, if I don't, if I don't scratch them off, it's okay. Because the bottom line is that I have to be healthy physically and mentally. And by kind of working on my issues, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a good spot where I'm finally ready. Yeah, man. And you're, my money's on you that you're going to be able to scratch those off and you're, you're a great example too anyone listening and to your family that, that you're, you're taking care of all this stuff. Um, as we wrap up, you know, one or two more questions, like, you know, um, maybe the last question here is when you think about yourself, you know, a lot of the listeners here, I'm 25, right. And trying to make my way through this crazy world. And a lot of the listeners are, are in their twenties and just kind of getting into whatever they're doing with their lives. When you think back to yourself at that age, maybe 10 years ago, you're coming fresh out of Beijing or wherever you are in life. Is there, is there any advice you'd give to that younger version of yourself or you'd give to the listeners out there? Um, man, I feel like that's a pretty loaded question. <laughs> um, you know, I tell myself to be more in the moment, be more in the moment because <clears throat> my mind is very strong and it can wander to all, all places if if I don't keep a leash on it. And I think that too much of the time I let it wander and tried to figure stuff out and tried to game plan and try to strategically do this and do this like I was playing a game of chess. And I think that that might have allowed me to miss some of the, some of the in the moment things that I should have been there for. And, you know, whether it's anxiety or, or panic or any of these things that, that help cause that, I would tell myself to be more in the moment, man, because what you're doing right now in the moment is really the only real thing that's happening. You know what I mean? You can plan and you can try to figure stuff out as much as you want, but if you're not in the moment, you know, your kid's first time he's walking or, you know, going to the play and being in the moment and really focusing with your kids, playing with your kids. I mean, it's a different thing when you're in the moment playing with your kids or you're in the moment kind of playing with your kids, but really thinking about what you're doing for errands in two hours. You know what I mean? So I would tell myself to, to learn that skill of being in the moment and not allowing my thoughts to take me so that I can operate and react and, and just, just, you know, be present, man, be present. That's what I would tell myself. Be present. 
Yeah, it's been something I've been trying to work on a lot this year is like, yeah, I call it be where your feet are, you know, like when you're at work, it's time to work. When you're working out, it's working out. When you're with your girlfriend or your mom or whoever, like you're not, or like, you know, example, like when you're at dinner, you're not like checking your phone and all that shit, you know, like you're you're where you are. So that's great advice, man. And where, um, where can we find you? You know, if any listeners want to follow you on your site or social media, I know you use Instagram and maybe Twitter. Yeah. Um, man, I tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm so bad at them and it's not because I'm <laughs> bad at the art of doing them. It's because, you know, I don't like putting myself out there and I don't you know, like talking and I do have Instagram, Daniel O'Connor boxing. I do have Twitter, it's DOC underscore boxing and I have a fan page and I have a website that, you know, I haven't really updated that much. Um, and another another thing with that is because now I'm, I'm I'm much more in the moment. Like I don't want to break my moment to go on my phone and update someone about something. You know what I mean? So I do have them, and I will be better on them. I know that now that I'm getting back out there, back into the world, and you know I, I know the way the world works. You have to have them in some capacity. Um, but you know you can find me on Instagram or, or Twitter, and you know. I'll be there. I don't post much, but I will start. Awesome, man. Well, uh, I appreciate you coming on. I know it's a long time coming. And, um, you know, like I was saying, the authenticity is inspiring. And, um, you know, I, whatever your next challenge is, whatever the next fight is, whatever you're working on, I got money on you, man. Because you got a fan in me. And I'm sure the listeners will all be supporting you too, man. So I appreciate you, you coming on. Uh, No problem, man. I appreciate you having me. All right, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Millennial Momentum Podcast. Remember, you can find me, Tommy Tahoe, on Instagram, on Twitter. Hit us up on Facebook, YouTube, uh, millennialmomentum.net for all of the info from this episode and every other episode that we put out. And please, please, if you find any value here, leave a review, subscribe, share it out on social media, tag me. I respond to everything. Uh, Thank you so much for the support, for the love, for the listens. Uh, Let's have a great December. Let's close the year strong. Out.